Can we give the Lord the biggest hands of the day? Lord, we honor you here today. We're here to worship you and praise you and give you glory. Hallelujah. We love you, Lord. It's good to be in your house today. Lord, it's my prayer that your kingdom come and your will would be done in this place today. As we look into your word, open the eyes of our heart. Lord, as we've been talking about the year 2020 and us having 2020 vision when it comes to the things of God, begin to illuminate us today, begin to open our eyes, help us see things we've never seen before and understand things we've never understood. Broaden our, our, our scope of being able to see the things that you have done and want to do for us. Thank you, Lord, today. Thank you for your word that we're about to share. And I pray, Lord, that you would allow your Holy Spirit yes, Lord. to move through these lips of clay. Yes, you, Lord. And that you would allow your Holy Spirit to move through these vessels of clay. And those who hear today, allow your word to take root in our hearts and minister to your people today. For we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. You might be seated. What a wonderful day. I feel like I've been in church today. And that doesn't mean I don't still feel like I'm in church, but thank the Lord. This morning, we're going to begin a series entitled In His Presence. And... In this particular series, we're going to be turning our attention to the Old Testament and looking at the furnishings in the tabernacle. Now, your first reaction to that might be one of, oh boy, not very exciting, um, not something I'm sure I want to listen to for six weeks. And you may even have some questions. For instance, you may have this question, why? Would you spend so much time in the Old Testament? That's a good question. One that I'll answer as I begin this morning. The Holy Bible is God's inspired word. I I meant that when I said that the Holy, the H-O-L-Y Bible is God's Holy Word. Now I'll say it this way. The Holy Bible is God's Holy Word. W-H-O-L-L-Y. All of it. From cover to cover. The whole Bible is God's holy word. The Bible says that holy men spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Bible also says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. The Old Testament was the Bible for the New Testament church. In fact, today as you look at your Bible, you will find that over 75% of your Bible is Old Testament. That's quite interesting. It would seem a shame then for those people who say, well, we don't need the Old Testament today. There's nothing there for us. They seem to be somewhat confused if 75% of the Bible is Old Testament and the Bible tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And when that was said, it was said about the Old Testament. I'm here to tell you today, there are things in the Old Testament we need to know. 
things we need to understand. Um, in fact, it is the Old Testament in large part that gives us uh, some understanding of the new. Without the Old Testament, we couldn't fully appreciate we couldn't fully understand. We couldn't fully um, grasp the truths in the New Testament if we didn't have the Old Testament background. And I think that'll come into view here uh, pretty clearly here in a few moments. The Bible tells us that the law, the Old Testament, the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. How many have seen that in the scripture? You've heard that. The law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. I'd like to illustrate, if I could, today. Most of you know our daughter Beth is a first grade teacher. And I have asked her for some help today. And um, I thought she probably would have some pretty good examples. And she had no trouble. She just pulled out some of the assignments she had handy. And sent me two or three pictures. And I've selected a couple of them. I want to demonstrate for you um, sort of what it means that the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Now, all of you who were here today, you were very young when you started saying some words like mama, dada, and things like that. But you just didn't go off and rattle a whole bunch of words. You had to learn those words. Am I correct? Some of you think your kids already know them all as much as they talk, I would imagine. But that's, it doesn't work that way. We pick up on language gradually, how to spell, how to write, and so forth. And I realize if, if you guys could maybe darken this a little bit while we have these slides up, that might help us a bit. But I want to read this to you, and I want you... Now, this, these are first graders. Okay, first graders don't know how to spell very well. And now they don't really teach them how to spell, do they, Beth? At first, you teach them how it sounds and let them work through it. That's kind of the, the way it's done nowadays. So I'm going to read this to you. It says, the Barbies are meeting each other at the pool. They are going to practice swimming. Now, let me give you a few examples here. The, uh, the Barbies are meeting each other. Each other is spelled E-C-H-T-H-E-R. Each other. Isn't that cute? It's wrong, but it's cute. But it does help make the point that we don't grow up, we, we grow speaking, but we may not be able to spell it and put it together. The Barbies, B-A-R, looks like L-B-E-S, are meeting each other at the pool. They are going to, there's P-R-A-K-T-L-S-E, practice. They're going to practice swimming. Swimming, S-W-M-I-N-G. Swimming. That's pretty basic, isn't it? It's not bad for a first grader, is it? Actually, let's go to the next one, please. It says, I went, W-I-N-T, I went to the zoo and saw a panda bear, bear, B-A-E-R, and elephant, E-L-E-P-H-A-N-T. Boy, they did good on that one, didn't they? And a G, a J A G W E R, a jaguar. They went to a jaguar. Okay. Most of us have been there. And we've been there with our children and we've been there with ourselves. We understand that's where it starts. Am I right? But as we grow up, and boy, I didn't like it. I still don't like, I, thank God I don't have to do it anymore. But I remember... When I started having to diagram sentences, 
I thought that was the dumbest thing in the world. I mean, I can speak English. I don't have to learn how to scientifically take it apart and put it together. And to this day, I'm not very good at, at explaining those things. And, but the point is, you start out with where those first graders were. And you grow and you grow and you grow in your vocabulary and you learn how to put them together and you learn how to string sentences into paragraphs and paragraphs into long stories and letters and so on and so forth. You start with the basics, but it takes a while. It takes a good long while to grow from that to where you write a term paper in college. A lot of growth has to take place. A lot of understanding and development and maturation has to happen. In that process. Well, it's kind of like that with what we see here before us today. You may have absolutely not a clue in this world what this is and what it represents. But I'll promise you this is absolutely, extremely important for understanding some priorities that God wanted his people to understand. So we're going to look at that this morning, and each week we're going to add a subsequent piece of furniture in the tabernacle and deal with that until finally, most likely, the brazen altar will be about where the back row is now, and all the other things will be in front of it, and we'll be able to piece it all together. But today we're going to move forward. That's why it's important. This is extremely important. Number two. But you're going to spend time on the furnishings of the tabernacle. Why would you do that? Because they should be studied. There's a lot of symbolism there. Things that are being taught to us as we look at those particular things. It's become blatantly obvious this morning when we look to the Word. And then um, the third question, so what would you hope to gain by sharing this series? Here's what I hope we can gain. I hope we can gain an understanding of how to better be able to live in his presence. Because that's what he wants. You're going to see that's what this is all about. God is trying to help us understand how we can come back into a relationship with him. That's what God wants. That's why he sent his only begotten son. That's why Jesus died on a cross. To bring us back into fellowship and relationship with God. So that all that God has for us, we can be open to and believe and experience and understand. So that's why these things are important. And why I would like to proceed uh, in this way today. I'd like to ask you another couple questions that aren't on the, aren't on the paper there yet. But having access to God is something that's, that's extremely important. Now, how many of you have ever been bothered? That's an open-ended question, folks. I remember different times I've gone to the barbershop to get a haircut. And the guy that's cutting my hair, he's, uh, sometimes he kind of gets in a hurry, I guess, and he cuts hair and hair falls all down in your shirt and your collar and, and then down into your shirt and, and then the rest of the day you're, you're bothered. Y'all ever experienced that? It's, it's not going to kill you, but it just bothers you. It just irritates you. It's just not right. How many of you have ever been bothered that your experience with God is less than what you've expected. Now, I don't want you to necessarily answer out loud. But you think, you know what? When, when I signed on to be a Christian, so to speak, 
When I gave my life to Christ, I kind of thought it was going to be different than this. I kind of thought it was going to be exciting. I, I kind of thought there were going to be, it, it, it was, it was going to be different. It's just not exactly what I expected. Have you ever been sick and tired of being sick and tired? Have you ever been in a place in your life that it seems like God is so distant and so far? Yeah, you believe in God. That's not the question. But it doesn't seem like he's very near. It seems like he's a long, long ways away. When you're praying, you're not always sure he hears. And sometimes when you get ready to go to church, you think to yourself, well, here we go again. Same old, same old. I think probably we've all been there. But I've got good news for you today. If you want to walk with God, I said, if you want to walk with God, you can walk with God. He'll be closer than you've ever dreamed possible. If you understand what he desires for you and what his will is and how he's provided a way for you to get there. If you halfway understand where I'm headed, would you say amen? I'm going to begin this morning in Exodus 27, verses 1 through 8. This is what the Bible calls the altar of burnt offering. It's a representation, of course. But we're going to read about what the Bible says about that. Exodus 27, verses 1 through 8. You shall make an altar of acacia wood... Five cubits long and five cubits wide. Now, if you don't exactly know how much a cubit is, it's 18 inches. Generally speaking, they measured cubits. Here's the definition of a cubit, biblically speaking. It's from your elbow to your fingertips. Elbow to fingertips. Yesterday, I just was curious, so I got out my tape measure. And it's right here on me to my fingertips is exactly 18 inches. Now, for some of you who are shorter, it might be a little shorter. Some of you who are taller, it might be a little taller. But a a cubit is defined basically as 18 inches, that distance right there, which is average. So the Bible says, you shall make an altar of acacia wood, five cubits long and five cubits wide. It's square. The altar shall be square and its height shall be three cubits. That's four and a half feet. The width will be seven and a half feet. The depth will be seven and a half feet. The height will be uh, four and a half feet. The height is about right on this one, but it's only a fourth of the size as the one in Scripture would be. You shall make its horns on its four corners. Now, this is God speaking to Moses, telling him how and what to build to put in his own house. You follow me? This is God's house. This is the tabernacle here. And the first thing you see when you walk through the gate of the tabernacle is that burnt offering. Right there in front of you. First thing when you go in. You shall make its horns on its four corners. Its horns shall be of one piece with it, all molded together. Also, you shall make its... Listen to this, it's pans to receive its ashes and it's shovels and it's basins and it's forks and it's fire pans. You shall make all its utensils of bronze. 
You shall make a grate for it, a network, crossing metal, think that net type thing, a network of bronze. And on the network, you shall make four bronze rings at its corner, its four corners. You shall put it under the rim of the altar beneath, that the network may be midway up the altar. And you shall make poles for the altar, poles of acacia wood, and overlay them with bronze. The poles shall be put in the rings, and the poles shall be put on the two sides of the altar to bear it. You shall make it hollow with boards, as was shown you in the mountain. Notice that highlighted. It was shown you in the mountain, so shall they make it. And then I've also added from the previous chapter, Exodus 26, verse 30, when the Lord was giving instructions about the tabernacle, it says, And you shall raise up the tabernacle according to its pattern, which you were shown in the mountain. Now, about all of you will remember that Moses went up on the mountain. How long did he stay on the mountain? How long? How many? Forty. You're right. That's true. I can't hear it. The fan's blowing and, and you're a long ways off. He went up 40 days. Now he went back and spent another 40 days. But during that time that Moses was on top of the mountain and there was smoke and fire and Moses went up there to be with God at God's command and Moses was there with God for 40 days. This is some of what God was telling Moses he wanted. And then when Moses came down off the mountain, then he begins to tell his people this. And and God says to him, now I want you to tell them this. Give them these things, these specific and precise instructions, these detailed and descriptive uh, requirements. God had a plan. God had a purpose. God was very intentional. God was very specific about how he wanted it done. He told them how he wanted them to build. Every single piece is this way. You can read it in the book of Exodus. Every piece of furniture that was put in the uh, tabernacle, he gave the dimensions of it, the height of it, the width of it, what it was to be made of, where it was to be arranged and put when he put it in there. He laid it all out. And God gave that to Moses. Moses comes down. He gives that to the people just like God gave it to him. It was a building plan, if you will. It was a set of drawings in his mind that Moses had to tell the people, this is what God wants and do it this way and do it this way. Very precise. And in doing that, God had a plan. God had a purpose. He wanted to teach mankind Israel first, of course, because this is all about the children of Israel, but subsequently the Gentiles as well, how they were to approach God. Now let's move to the next slide, which is a representation of the tabernacle. And if um, you will permit me, I'm going to use the laser here and point out just a few things. Now these, these walls here that go around the perimeter of the tabernacle are seven and a half feet tall. Why are they seven and a half feet tall? Because that's what God said do. And the, the curtains here that are put between these posts and all of this is at God's command. And as you, you notice right here, here is a gate that goes into the courtyard. And in the courtyard, there is this 
altar of um, uh, brass, the brazen altar we call it. And then there's something called the laver here, which we'll talk about next Sunday. And then this is the tabernacle proper here, where in this first front half right here, you would have found the uh, the table of showbread. You would have found the um, lampstand, the golden lampstand, and also another altar called the altar of incense would have all been in this first half. And then right about here somewhere, there would be a veil that was hanging all the way down to the ground inside that little place there. And the inside that veil would be the Ark of the Covenant. So the outer border was seven and a half feet high. The actual tabernacle, believe it or not, is almost the same as the square footage of this whole building. So it wasn't a massive place. It wasn't a mall. It wasn't a gigantic place to go. The whole old tabernacle complex that you see represented there is about the same square footage as what's in the footprint of this building. So it wasn't all that large. Inside that, as we go to the next slide, there's a diagram. And on that diagram, you see the same thing. Here's the gate. Here's the altar sacrifice. The laver here. The, whole, the holy place is what this first section was called with the lampstand, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, the veil going across here, and in the back, the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. Now, I'll, I'll submit to you that this might begin to make a little bit more sense to us um, as we think about some of the things sometimes that we sing about and some of the things that we talk about and really we don't even don't even understand what it is we're talking about or what we're thinking about. How many times have we sung? I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. So here's the picture. Picture, this is why I put you all on the outside of the tabernacle. Because I want you to be able to visualize this. Okay, you're coming. Oh man. So much is going through my mind. David said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And then he said, let us enter his gates right here with thanksgiving into our heart. And let us enter his courts with praise. Now, all of that is true. And what you see represented here in this very simple, primitive um, illustration of what the tabernacle would have been like... This same setup, when they built the temple, which was made out of gold and was marvelous to look at, they followed the same pattern. Because when they went into a permanent dwelling place, the temple, everything was the same as it was in this tent. That's all this was, was a big tent that could be taken down and moved as they traveled from one place to another. It was the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. And they'd tear all this down, just like I could tear this down right now, put it back on the stage, tear it down, put it back down here. It's movable. It can be transferred from place to another. But when they went to the temple, it became a permanent place, but everything stayed just like it was. Why? Because that's the way God ordered it. I want you to do it this way. I want you to build this burnt offering, this altar, this particular way. In these dimensions and this high and put the horns on the altar. Now, there was another altar. Not just this altar. In fact, let me just leave my notes. Well, I've already left my notes. Uh, 
I would like for you to think with me. I'll go ahead and read this next passage. I think we need need to understand what's taking place there. There's another passage in Leviticus 1. If you'd like to, Kevin, if I mess you up, buddy, I'm sorry. In Leviticus chapter 1, and I didn't put this one on the screen, so if you want to turn with me there, that'll be fine. Leviticus chapter 1, the, the first passage that I shared with you dealt with the, the construction, the form. This is what I want, God says. Build it this way. This is the blueprint. And so we had this seven and a half by seven and a half by seven and a half by seven and a half altar. We had these four horns on the sides or on the corners, and then people were to come in and worship. And incidentally, there was always a fire being burned in this altar. This is quite graphic. By the way, I appreciate some of our kids staying with us today because I think when you have something graphic, it's easy to understand. And maybe they can they can stay with us here. Leviticus chapter 1, this is not going to be about how to build the altar. This is going to be about what you do when you come to the altar. What happened here? You you come to worship in the Old Testament. And as soon as you walk through the door, get this. I know it's a gate, but think. As soon as you come through the gate of where the temple was, that's the first thing you see. It's so big. This is not a big, massive hallway that you got to walk a quarter of a mile down to get to it. I mean, when you walk through the gate, it's right there. And God put it there. God wanted it there for a reason. Now, we've told us, scriptures have already told us what he wanted there. And we see a representation of it here. But now we're going to look at why he wanted it. Why was it here? What were they supposed to do when they came? Let's listen. Leviticus chapter 1, verse 2. When any, and listen, as I read this, you're going to hear me use the words, you're going to hear me read the words, he and him. He and him. It's talking about this person, he, who comes in and offers sacrifices and what he does. He and him. While we read this, I would like for you to put yourself in he or him's place. Don't look out there in your mind and say there's a he and a him. Put yourself in the place of this person that's coming in the Old Testament tabernacle to do what God said do. When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock. Of the herd and of the flock. If his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will. Well, wait a minute. Let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Follow this now. You're the one doing this. 
Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering. And it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He shall kill the bull before the Lord. And the priest, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the high priest, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the, on the fire. Then the priest, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, shall lay the parts, after you've cut it up, shall lay the parts, the head and the fat, in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar, but he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Now, before I go any farther, let's leave this altar. Now that you understand what it's for and what happened here, I want to leave this altar, and as you would progress through the tabernacle as we'll do over the next six weeks i'm going to jump over a couple things and now i'm going to come to this particular altar you see this little table here see there were two altars in the tabernacle there's the burnt the brazen altar where the burnt offerings were held and then there's this smaller altar we'll talk about it it's the altar of incense And the altar of incense was just about this size. It wasn't big. It was just small. It was a table where you could put the the incense on there. And the incense rising up to the Lord was indicative of praises and thanksgiving and worship and adoration. And you know, that's, that's the part we like, isn't it? When we come to church, don't we like to clap our hands? Don't we like to just worship the Lord and, and give Him glory and, and just adore Him and, and we love the music and we love to sing and oh, we just get so excited about the worship. I do. I love to worship the Lord. Don't you? But you know what? Here's the thing. You could come up here to this altar and light up the incense and send up worship and sing your songs all day long. But if you haven't stopped here first to do what this altar requires, you're wasting your time. You're missing the point. Yes, this is an altar. And this is an altar. This is where we, where we offer up words of praise and thanksgiving and worship to God. But, but, but dare I say that God does not look favorably and does not accept all worship? That's biblical. If you read the Old Testament, you'll find there were many times he told them, just stop it. Just don't bring me any more sacrifices. Don't do this. Don't lift your hands to me anymore. I'm tired of it. He says because of the the sin and the things that are in your life. So what we're saying is, before you go to this altar... And be able to be effective at the altar of incense. You have to first take care of business here at this altar. What is the business that needs to be taken care of at this altar? You come in. In the Old Testament. 
you come in and walk through these gates and and you send. Notice that picture, Kevin, if you'll take us back to the close-up there of the temple, if you don't mind. If you'll look closely, other than the altar and the laver and that front portion there and a few tables, what else do you see there? I'm sorry. Animals. Listen, can you imagine going to church in the Old Testament and walking through the gates and there being animals all around? But even more than that, to think that that you would be required in order for your sins to be atoned, to find a substitute for you, you would be required to come over here. Well, actually, you bring your own. But when you got here, you would have to take this lamb or this bullock that you bought with you. Did you read the Bible with me when I was reading? I want you to know I'm not making this up. You had to put your hand on the head of this animal. And you had to slay that animal. And you had to shed its blood. Now, I don't know about how many of you are this way, but I'm kind of a soft-hearted guy. That would break my heart. That would be hard for me to do. Would that be hard for you to do? But that's what God was teaching them. He was teaching them something very important because the Bible says, somebody complete this for me. The Bible says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all born sinners and we all need a Savior. Amen? And so he's illustrating to these people by teaching them this. First of all, when you come into my presence, when you come into my house, you've got to deal with the sin that's in your life. And the soul that sins, it shall die. But he says, I'm not going to require you to die. I'm going to allow you to lay your hand on this animal and your sin will be transferred to that animal and you spill its blood and it's burned on this altar of sacrifice and your sins will be atoned. Remember going back to the first grader who put the little sentences on the screen, on the page, and the words were misspelled? Just had a little enough knowledge to just start writing. And that's what the Lord was doing here with them at this first stop here. Actually, God in his own mind and understanding had already determined to send his only begotten son to this world to die for the sins of people. But they weren't ready to pick up all that and read it and understand it. See, they they had to take it a little at a time and learn this principle and add to it this principle and add to it this principle to be able to grasp all that. And for us today to fully understand the glory and the blessing that there is in the fact that Jesus came to this earth and died for us. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm... I'm pretty excited about the fact that we don't have to come 
every Sunday to church and slay an animal on a sacrifice and see all that and smell all that and feel that pain. I don't think I don't think I would ever go to a church service again if that's the way it was without leaving sobbing at all I had seen while I was there. But that's the point. That's the point. God wants us to understand the seriousness of sin and how he how it is so distasteful. It is so um he just, he, he wants nothing to do with sin. He can't have anything to do with sin. He's a holy and a righteous God. And then here we come as sinners and we won't fellowship with God. He says, wait, we got some business to take care of first. You need to be forgiven. You need to be cleansed. You need to be washed. So the, the way they started being schooled in that is the Lord says, you take your hand and you put it on their head and you slay this animal and put it up here. And God receives it. Your sins are atoned for. The only thing about it is in the Old Testament, the Bible says it's impossible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. So they kept doing it every week. Or every time they come, they'd have to go through that same thing. Because it never really changed anything inside of them. I've got news for you. The perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, because of that sacrifice, He doesn't just atone for our sins on the outside. He he cleanses us and washes us. He forgives us. He changes us so we don't have to keep on sinning. That's the beauty of it. We wouldn't have understand that. We wouldn't have appreciated Jesus Christ had it not been for, for this elaborately designed, very specific, detailed, precise, oriented exercise that the Lord ordained for his people to go through when they came to worship. So, the emotions. Think about the emotions that you would have felt. If you were the one, if you were the he in this passage of scripture, taking this animal's life, shedding its blood, you sure certainly would have identified, I think. I think you would have identified with sin and how God feels about it. And his prescription, if you will, for how to deal with sin, you had to do it the way he wanted Really, before there was any point in moving forward. Again, we're wasting our time to come to this altar and offer up anything to Him until we've come to this altar and had our sins forgiven. Amen? I've got a a friend of mine, not a close friend because I've never been around him that much, but he's a, he's a young man who is big in the Christian music industry. Warren Barfield, some of you know Warren. Uh, Warren wrote the theme, what was that movie? Um, Fireproof. He wrote the, the theme song for that and, and he's written a lot of Christian songs and, and, um, he's been in our church in the other location and, and played and he's just a really tremendous young man and very gifted. And he's toured with the big names in the industry. And a couple of years ago, I was with um, his father in a convention. And I said, how's Warren doing? Oh, he's doing great. I said, is he still singing? He said, no, he just stepped out of it. I said, what? What's wrong? Why did he, why did, why is he not doing that anymore? He said, he, he just got tired of the hypocrisy and 
distant, ingenuous people that he was around. That would sing the one thing on the stage and then go down and live a different way. Uh, see, that, that means nothing to God. That doesn't impress God one bit. And it's the same in our, our lives. If, if we're one thing on church and, and church on Sunday morning, we come and, and we do our thing, we lift our hands and we sing our song, but we hadn't stopped at the altar to repent of our sins. If we haven't made it right with the Lord, then it's not acceptable in His sight. So we begin to get a picture of the seriousness of sin. We begin to feel the heartbreak of a loving God who, in anticipation of the day he's already determined, is going to send his son. Because the Bible says Jesus is the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Already in the mind of God, he knew what he was going to do. But he had to start us out with the basics to understand what was taking place so we could appreciate him. The Lord is saying, I must teach you the seriousness of sin. I must teach you that the soul that sins, it shall die. That's in the scripture. I must teach you that one day my only begotten son will die. And remember now, the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to what? To Christ. The law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. You must recognize that you have sinned. That this sin separates you from God. It keeps you from being who he wants you to be and who you really want to be. You must know, the Lord says, that I've sent a substitute to die in your place. But today, that substitute is not a sheep or a goat or a lamb or cattle. That substitute, what's his name? His name is Jesus. He came to bear the penalty for my sin. And he came to bear the penalty for your sin. You see, you could go through the motions. You could go to the altar of incense. But you... If you just do it and, and pass by and you're not, you're not, it's, if you're not sincere, it doesn't mean anything. If our musicians could come and, and get ready for a song here in just a bit. When you, when you come to this altar and offer up to the Lord worship, but you haven't been to this altar and committed your life to the Lord, then that's really not worth anything not worth anything to the Lord. Our sins need to be forgiven. Amen? Jesus died so that we could be saved. And that's illustrated so powerfully here. If you have never done that, given your life to the Lord, you're not really living, you're just existing. You can never really live not live. Really live? You can't live until you've given your life to Christ. 
Giving your life to Christ on the level that we're speaking about today and that requires the sacrifice that we pictured here with the animals being slain and then the Lord Jesus Christ hanging on a cross and giving His life for us and suffering and His blood being shed because He was the Lamb of God for us. All that's required now is not this. This is just something to help us understand what Jesus did for us. Right now, all it takes is faith and belief in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and coming before Him with a repentant heart and saying, Lord, I am a sinner. I admit that I'm a sinner. I have sinned. I know that you're the only sacrifice, the one and only sacrifice for sin. And so, Lord, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. I want you, Lord, to be my substitute. I thank you for saving me. Please, Lord, wash me and cleanse me. Oh, I, Listen, I hope you've prayed that prayer before. I really do. We no longer have a burnt altar in our houses of worship. Today we have an altar here that stretches from one side of the church to the other. Right. No fire is needed in that one. No literal fire. You don't have to, to... I was thinking earlier this week about when you build a house, you get a set of plans and you dream about that house. Right. Oh, that house is going to be so nice. That house is going to be so beautiful. But you know what? Once you get the house... The plans aren't all that important anymore, are they? Because now you've got the real thing. It's kind of like that with this. The, this was the plan. The Lord wants us to see His blueprint for how this is going to work. But once we've got the real Lamb of God, we don't need any of these lambs anymore to be slain in our behalf. This pastor's grateful. I would hate to think we had to do that every Sunday when we came to church. You don't have to dream about the plans after the home has been built. And you don't have to have this to be saved now. Because the genuine has come. And that is Jesus Christ. The true lamb has already been slain. And why was Jesus slain? He was slain for you. Would everybody say for me? For me. Who was the lamb slain for? For me. Let's do it again. Who was the lamb slain for? Me. Now I know God's, God said that God, or the Bible says that God so loved the world. world. That's good. I'm glad. Everybody can be saved. But when it comes time for you to be saved, you need to know that he came for, for me. And he came for you. So you have to make it personal. It's like you, they had to put their hand on the head of that animal. And sacrifice it. I remember years ago. In an Easter musical. Somehow it fell my lot to sing a solo. And the words that I sung have stuck in my mind ever since. It says. It was my sin. That he carried. It was my iniquity. Oh I helped crucify him. That dark day. On Calvary. I did. He died for me. Right. And he died for you. Right. 
But this forgiveness, this salvation is not carte blanche. It just doesn't get dished out to the whole world. Oh yeah, I'm saved now. No, you're not saved until several things happen. I'd like to ask you today, have you made him your savior? Have you made him your savior? Have, have you felt the pain of sin? Remember how if you were the ones that had to put your hand on this sacrifice and, and, and cut its throat and bleed it out and cut it up and put it on the altar to atone for your sins, you would feel some pain, you would feel some sorrow, you would feel some terrible emotions in the process of doing that. I'd like to ask you, have you ever felt the pain of your sin? Uh, we call that conviction today. Right, right. Oh, you feel so badly for the way you've lived, for the way you are living. You feel badly about it. And you go to the Lord, you say, Lord, please save me, Lord. Please forgive me, Lord. Listen, you can't take conviction and sweep it away and ignore it and expect to walk right with God. You have to repent of your sins. And repent means to make a turnaround and go in a different direction. You have to be sorry for your sins. You have to repent of your sins. And then the Savior comes in and cleanses you. And He will empower you not to go back and be a sinner again. You don't go back and do the same things He forgave you for. Because the power of the blood of Jesus, yes. the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new, new. new creature. All things have passed away. passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, you can't do that by trying to do better. It'll be a losing battle if you try to measure up to the standards that Christ has set in the Word of God. It'll be a, it, you'll be frustrated every day of your life if you're trying to do that on your own. You need to submit your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And when He washes you, the Bible says He will cleanse us from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. He will give you the strength to quit doing some of the things that you've been feeling guilty about doing for years. He will give you the grace to walk in His light and to be obedient to His Word as you make Him Lord of your life. If you feel the pain of sin, if you feel conviction, if you feel in your heart like, Lord, my life is in such a mess... I want to tell you today, there's not a better time that I could think of in this whole world than today. The very first Sunday of a new year, the very first Sunday in a new decade, a day when we have focused on what it means that somebody died for your sin and shed their blood so that you could have life and have it more abundantly. And if you'll surrender your life to his... He'll give you eternal life. Not only that, but he'll give you abundant life. Yes. Now, I believe what the Bible says. And the Bible says when you come to Jesus and give your life to him, he's going to change your life. 
He will. He'll give you the power to say no to drugs. He'll give you the power to, to keep your tongue in check. He'll give you the power to stay away from things you're not supposed stay away from places you're not supposed to be. All kinds of things. He'll empower you to do that. But it's not by coming here to this table and lifting up your hands. It's by coming to Jesus at the altar and allowing his blood to be applied to your life. That's where the change comes. And I really fear in America today, in the church world today, we've kind of, we've kind of gravitated toward this idea. Well, if I just come to church and I worship and I lift my hands, but you know what? You can do that and walk out the door and get sot drunk every, every week and, and beat your wife and steal and do all kinds of things and come back in the church and do it again next Sunday, lifting your hands. That means nothing to the Lord. What means something to the Lord is a commitment to Him and allowing Him to clean up your life and you will be a new creature in Christ Jesus. That's what this teaches us. All the rest of it is so good. But it it is so insightful to me to know that God, in His Word, designed it so that every time... A person in Israel came to the tabernacle. This is the first thing they saw. It's like he's saying, don't you ever forget. Don't you ever forget that it's the blood. Don't you ever forget that it begins right here, mister. Don't you ever forget that your sins are forgiven here. Atonement is made here. And once atonement is made and you know that you're right with God and you know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, oh boy, then it's a joy. Listen, nobody has to pump you and prime you. Then you're ready to come to the place where you can lift your hands and worship God and praise Him and give Him glory and worship and praise on Sunday mornings. It's not like pulling teeth. It's like you just can't wait to get there because you know what Jesus has done for you. As we sing this invitational song this morning, I'm going to ask you if you feel any sense of conviction of sin at all. I'm going to ask you to leave your seat and come and stand, not at this altar, please, please, nobody come and stand to this altar. Because this is not where the action is now. This points us to a place where we can come and receive Jesus Christ. And that is the altar now that we're accustomed to in our churches. But what I'd like for you to do is kind of take a personal inventory today. Listen, if you've been trying to be good, if you've been trying to be good and you're just so frustrated because it's not working for you, what you need is Jesus. Right. Yes. You need to surrender your life to Christ. He didn't tell us to make ourselves good. He said, come to me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll change your life. I'll forgive sins. Not only am I going to give you eternal life, but I'm going to give you an abundant life here. The Bible promises that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. I'll tell you, as we surrender our lives to the Lord, it's amazing what He's going to do. He's going to do it in your life. 
if you'll give them the chance to do it. So if you're here today and you're not saved or you're unsure where you stand with God, I'm going to ask you to leave your seat and come to this altar. Now you may say, but Pastor Ron, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. I can understand that. I get that. Been with a lot of people over the years who said that. But if you'll come to this altar, I'll pray with you. I'll lead you into a prayer. I'll help you. I'll walk you through it. Uh, You can make it your own, but I'll be glad to pray with you. You just need to ask Jesus into your heart. And if you mean it, if you mean it with all your heart, according to the word of God, the scripture says, if we confess our sin, now this is not Pastor Ron talking, this is the word of God talking. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that is to say, if we'll ask him to do it, he'll do it. He will not say no to you. If you're ready to repent and surrender, he will not say no to you. You have not sinned too long, gone too far. If you feel that drawing, if you feel that conviction, if you know you're not where you need to be with the Lord, I'd like for you to stand with me now. And as we sing this song, at any point in this song that you feel like I need to be there, I need to come to that altar, I need to surrender my life to Jesus today, I want you to come and either stand or kneel at this altar, and we're going to pray with you. And before we leave, not when you come, but before you leave, we're all going to clap our hands and give glory to God. Because someone was bold enough to leave their seat and come to this altar and give their life to Jesus Christ. As we sing, I'd like for you to come. Are you hurting and broken within? is born Jesus is calling
calling you today. Please come. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood. Blessed be your name. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Bow down before him. For Are you 
broken within Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin Jesus is calling Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling Oh, come to the altar The Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was born with The precious blood of Jesus Christ Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. Yes, and He Kevin, if you would leave that slide up, please. <clears throat> if I go to a car lot, which is not likely to happen because I don't have the money to do this. But if I were to take you to a car lot and I were to say, pick out any car you want and I'll write a check for it and pay for it, it's yours and you can leave. Would that make you feel pretty good about things? Probably would. And you wouldn't have to worry about making payments. Why? Because I had already paid for it. Well, the Bible teaches us that Jesus died on a cross for our sins and he's already paid the debt. Right. You see, you have to, you have to connect with him. You have to become his child. You have to be a follower of his. You have to repent of your sin. And then it's paid in full. You don't have to worry about paying it. You just need to love the one who paid it for you. And that's Jesus. Today, Mia came and surrendered her life to Jesus Christ and asked the Lord to be her Savior.
I had the opportunity to pray with Mia, I didn't have the opportunity to pray with some of the others that I would like to. Didn't get to you. But if there's anybody else here today who prayed that same prayer and committed your life to the Jesus Christ, would you raise your hands? Any others? See one, two, three, three this morning. Amen. That's worth rejoicing over. Amen. Lord, we praise you. We give you glory, Lord. Hallelujah. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you today. You're an awesome God and we give you praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for being here today. Um, Dr. Bradford's coming now to receive prayer requests. But we are so thankful that you came today. We'd invite you to come back next Sunday where we move to another section of the tabernacle and talk about the importance of that. But God's Word is good. Even the Old Testament, all is so rich and so deep in so many ways, teaches us so much. So thanks for being here. God bless you and Happy New Year to you. Amen. Uh, Such a powerful word there. I tell you one thing, I'm thankful that we have a pastor that's not scared and is bold enough to get up here and preach the Bible the way it's preached or is supposed to be preached. A a pastor that will preach the word and salvation the way it's supposed to be preached. Uh, There's not a lot of churches out there today that do that. Um, But I believe God's still in the saving business. Amen. He will be until he returns. And so we have got to stand behind that promise that if we dedicate our lives and offer our sins to him, there's a reward waiting for us in heaven. A few prayer requests that were given to me before church this morning. I want to remember Ronnie Rose. He's got a head cold right now. Uh, missing these folks here in church today. Uh, Brother Billy Ray Norris is recovering from his surgery, but it's going slowly. Uh, so we want to lift him up today um, as well. Pastor Ron has a dear friend uh, from the first church that he pastored that's been dealing with some major health issues um, and is currently dealing with an aneurysm. I believe he told me it was the ninth or tenth one um, that he's had, and I think he definitely needs our prayers as, as uh, doctors uh, are working with him um, for, for prayer there. Uh, Sister Faye gave a praise report this morning before church that uh, she recently had to go to the doctor. I think it was a fall or something she had had and thought she might have some broken bones, but the x-rays came back positive and there's no broken bones. So thank the Lord for that. Um, and then also that she's got a friend, Stephen, that's traveling uh, to, to and from California um, for work, I believe, and just to lift him up in traveling mercies um, there. So if you have any other prayer requests this morning, the floor is open here. Uh, just raise your hand. Feel free to speak it out. Um, or if it's unspoken, you can just say that. God knows what it is. He's got a friend that's facing heart surgery, and we want to lift them up as they're going through that. Yes. Okay, a close relative that needs special prayer. Elvis? Chet, his brother. Yes, want to lift him up. Yes, one of her teacher colleagues uh, lost their father. Family? Anyone else? Okay, her dad. Okay, in the military, yes. 
are lost. Yes. We lift our community up. Um, there's a harvest out there for us. Amen. Um, and this church could be filled. Um, but we need to pray that God will reach out there. And then we need to do work. We need to witness to them. Amen. Get them in here. Invite them. Um, and let's see this church packed. Any other prayer requests? If you'll bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you for this time together, Lord. We thank you for the sweet spirit that we have had here today, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we could kick 2020 off, Father, worshiping you, Father. And today I lift each and every prayer request that's went up to you, Father. There may be some out there that are on folks' hearts, Lord, that were unspoken, Lord. You know those requests just as the ones that were spoken, Father. We lay them at the foot of the altar, the foot of the cross, Lord, knowing that you have conquered all, for you wear the victor's crown. And, Lord, we give them to you today, and we walk away knowing, God, and trusting, Lord, that your your word is true. And what we ask, we shall receive. So, Father, keep us safe as we go our separate ways and bring us forth again, Lord, to worship you again when the doors are open. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.